There are many games under the fantasy football umbrella. There's the traditional redraft leagues, dynasty leagues, Devi leagues, IDP leagues. There's daily fantasy sports contests, or DFS for short, and these include GPP, cash, best ball tournaments. And there's an advantage to have if you dip your toes into each type of league to better understand them and to develop strategies to win. Each type of contest presents its own challenge, but understanding how each works will correlate with other leagues you may be participating in. These games are not luck. There's a reason, especially in the DFS community, that you see a lot of the same guys winning, and it's because they are perfecting their craft. They are identifying competitive advantages and how to apply them to their processes. You can't just show up and expect to be competitive. You have to have an edge over your competition to remain successful. Now there are many tools on the web that can help you identify metrics for every format you play in. There's a ton of metrics you need to take into consideration. Strength of schedule, position versus defense, ADOT, college dominator, and so many more to just name here. While you're learning all the different ways to approach a game, you can keep tuning into Roto Lounge. I'll help you along the way and discuss my processes and what tools I like to use in my research and you can apply your own. You can find me on Twitter at LoungeRoto. You can find me on YouTube channel Roto Lounge. And this very podcast is available on all platforms, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, among others. On today's episode, we're fortunate to have a great guest, a very sharp player in the industry, and he's visiting the lounge to talk about many relevant things, including DFS, Dynasty, and Redraft. So grab a drink, relax, and let's get ready to talk some football. So I'd like to introduce my first guest in the lounge. He's a man of the people, a sharp analytical mind. In fact, he's the director of production and analytics at the Quant Edge, where they provide the best DFS tools available. He's a risk taker, a grinder, the deep sleeper finder, and you can find him on Twitter at Elliot Christ, the one, the only Mr. Elliot Christ. Thanks for joining us, Elliot. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I got to say, that's probably one of my favorite introductions that I've ever had. So I, I appreciate that. That was a lot of kind words. Well, you know, I appreciate you coming on board the Roto Lounge. We've been around for maybe a month now, so you taking the time out of your busy schedule to help us. I really appreciate that. So first, here in the lounge, you know, we like to enjoy our spirits, our bourbons while we discuss fantasy football. Do you have any favorite drinks? Are you a social drinker? What do you prefer? Yeah, tequila is, is, is my weapon of choice. If you open up my freezer, it's just different flavors of Don Julio. You know, I when I went to Mexico, I brought back some Mexican tequila that's saved for special occasions. That's, you know, 10 years aged. And I learned about, you know, the different coloring of tequila and what that means. So margarita is my go-to drink, you know, salt on the rim. <laughs> I, I have no complaints about margaritas or tequila, man. It's, it's my go-to. I, I like bourbon as well. I cannot drink vodka at this stage of my life anymore. <laughs> A bad uh, event when you were younger. Uh, yeah, the, the college uh, drinking of vodka has ruined it forever for me. Do you like the sweet margaritas or the, the spicy, the jalapeno version of margaritas? Listen, all the above. You know, my, my, <laughs> girl, my girlfriend has really developed my palate. I used to be the kind of guy that had any little spice and started sweating. But she's basically forced it on me. So the jalapeno margaritas are uh, are a real treat now. Well, one of these episodes, I'll do a, a spicy margarita in your honor. Maybe I can get you on again and, and we can have spicy margaritas while we talk fantasy football. Uh, that sounds like a, a blast to me. All right. So so let's talk about your endeavors. I mentioned the intro. You work at the Quant Edge. Can you tell us a little bit more about TQE? So we actually just launched our new website this weekend 
completely relaunched everything. We're going to have an app ready for the start of the season. It's really mobile-friendly, user-friendly. We have a ton of tools. We have betting and DFS along with season-long coverage, premium membership chat. We'll have about 24, 25 pieces of content throughout the course of the season. You know, really help you take your game to the next level. DraftKings Optimizer, FanDuel Optimizer. We have an injury tool that doesn't exist anywhere else where we break down how teams perform without players by snap. And we have a wide receiver quarterback matchup tool that breaks down everything with routes and coverage type. We have head-to-head tool where you can make your weekly start-sit decisions. You can see how teams are vulnerable on different sections of the field. Everything is broken out. We have a lot more tools coming out this year, too, that are in the final design process of like dynamic rankings, weekly matchups, pace tool, game script tools. So, you know, we're really excited about what we have to offer. You can use promo code POWERHOUR for $25 off. I'm very confident that will help you take your game to the next level. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the new DFS players, they get on and they think that, you know, you can put some good players on there and expect to win. But really, when you get into those specific metrics that you offer at the Quant Edge, you really have a much larger strategic advantage against the field when you actually dive deep in. And that's what you do at the Quant Edge, right? Absolutely. So we will help you learn how to do that process. We give you the tools to do it on yourself, as well as we have experts like myself, John Proctor, Ryan Hodge, among many others that really break down the slate and help you understand who are the optimal plays for the week. So we'll get into some more DFS talks, but some breaking news today. Donta Foreman has been signed by the Colts. Give me your first reaction when you hear that. Depth signing. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm in the process of breaking down the 11-game slate for the D, DFS preseason on Thursday. And of all those teams, the Colts are tied for the least amount of running backs on their roster with just five. He could very easily be a camp body. It's, it's a great home run swing because could he be valuable and end up as the RB3 on the team? Absolutely. Could he also, worst case scenario, just give you some information on the Houston Texans? Absolutely. And he's also a camp body at a position of need. So I I get it. It's no risk, all reward on a talented player coming off an Achilles injury. But from a fantasy perspective, I mean, he needs Marlon Mack to go down to have a legit chance. And even then, he's going to be competing against Jordan Wilkins and Hines will have the pass catching role. I mean, at best, he's a handcuff. If I, you know, had best ball shares of him early, I, I would not be thrilled with the landing spot. Yeah, now a lot in the industry before the trade, when he was at Houston, a lot of people bought him maybe as a rookie or even after he went down with the hopes that he was going to be that young breakout. And for the Colts now, they got a 23-year-old. He's under contract for 700000 for the next two years. I don't know why anyone wouldn't jump on that other than the injury. Bill O'Brien releases him and he says it's the best thing for the organization. I'm expecting perhaps a suspension you know, for PEDs. Or is it the fact that O'Brien is now overseeing as the general manager and just doesn't like the guy? Because I, I heard a few weeks ago that Foreman was in the best shape of his life. And now O'Brien's saying it's the best for the team to let him go. Do you have any insight on his rehabilitation, Bill O'Brien as the GM, or anything that may have led to this? Yeah, I mean, I think it, for me it's a situation where, one, the, the quotes literally three weeks ago were all very positive. You know, two, I'd be surprised if it is a PED thing because I think that would have come out before he got claimed. I have no idea where he is health-wise. I know that running backs typically don't come back from Achilles tears. It's a big deal for their explosion. At the same time, you know, Foreman has had questions in the past about his attitude. He showed up, you know, overweight to camp. In the past, this year you didn't hear that stuff, but it's really hard to know what went on behind the scenes. But, you know, sometimes, you know, someone getting cut and reality striking them in the face is a great way for them to grow up. 
I do think in general, though, it's another sign that you need a general manager to run a team. And the Texans have made a lot of mistakes, you know, not having a general manager, not having leadership, not having someone that can chuck the coach. You know, you need that balance and the Texans don't have it. You know, I think that's absolutely a mistake by them. So back to DFS. Now, I've been playing DFS for several years and a lot of the experts have their own strategies, whether it's GPP only, cash only, single entry only, multiple lineups. Do you have a specific strategy that you use for DFS that you find pretty successful? Yeah, I mean, I think what you really have to do is understand where your skill sets lie. A lot of people will hop in the millionaire maker and try to chase a million dollars and get frustrated that they don't win after four weeks. You know, that's not really a reality. But, you know, my rule of thumb is if you're going to play GPPs, you should look for single entry and three max if you're going to play one or three lineups. If you're going to play 20 lineups, you should play in 20 max tournaments. You, you really shouldn't play one or two lineups in massive field tournaments where people can enter 150 lineups because, you know, you're competing against a lot of guys that have a lot of experience with making MME teams and your three or four teams need to beat their 150. And that, that's tough to do. I really think, you know, for beginner cash games, you know, head to heads are, are a great opportunity to learn some too. And then uh, mix in some single entry and three max is, is the best way to get started before you kind of go all in MMEing. But you really want to play to, one, what, what's your goal? Are you looking to have fun? Are you looking to chase the big win? Are you looking to subsidize risk and do head-to-head -head and cash games? Are you looking to kind of slowly grind up a bankroll? I mean, it, it, you really have to ask yourself what you're trying to do and move on from there. I mean, you really should play about 70% cash, 30% GPP, and make sure you really have solid contest selection. You know, these these tournaments have different rake on them. They have different payout structures. You want to make sure you're in the best ones for your entry level. I've been playing DFS, and, you know, we're, we're going to do a DFS pod. I'm going to try to do a DFS pod this year, maybe one every Sunday morning or Saturday night. But before that started, I, I've been playing in the, the best ball tournaments on draft, are you a best ball guy? Uh, oh, yeah. I, I'm 119 at the moment. 122 have finished, and I have about 20 more going on live, and then I'll, I'll throw myself into about 25 more tomorrow morning. So I'll probably end up with like three or 400 teams. Well, then you're, you're the perfect person to ask this question to. So personally, I find that stacking quarterbacks, receivers, and tight ends to be a advantage against the field. When it comes to building your best ball lineups, do you agree with that, or do you have a different approach? A hundred percent. I think one, you want to ask yourself which best ball, because the regular $5, 12 team is a different strategy than the best ball championship. I just want to clarify that best ball championship. You're trying to beat a lot more teams. So the more correlated plays you can have, the better. So stacking up not only quarterbacks with wide receivers, tight ends or running backs, but just stacking up offenses in general. You know, for example, Maybe you get Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald on, on your team. This way, if the Cardinals do anything in their 75 plays that week, there's a good chance you have a really good game. You know, Paris Campbell and Devin Funches, whoever ends up as the Colts wide receiver two, you're in good shape, and you're not paying high draft equity to do it. You can stack individual offenses and really increase your ceiling. The other thing that I think people get a little too caught up in with best ball is they go so far, like, you know, this guy's a, a ceiling play, and they only line up their team with ceiling. And that can be great some weeks, but also destroy you some weeks because high variance guys have low and high range outcomes, right? If you can mix in some of those high ceiling guys with some high floor guys, I mean, not necessarily Jarvis Landry this year, but a Jarvis Landry type, a guy that's going to make sure he gets you six or seven points so that you can kind of wait for the guy to spike for 18 and not get killed when he has one or two points. I've found myself stacking a lot of Prescott, Cooper, and Witten, you know, getting some of those guys pretty cheap. I also have a lot of Kyler, Kirk, Isabella, Edmonds stacks. 
In fact, I've actually gone on record. My second podcast, I predicted, all right, be ready for this, that Kyler Murray is going to finish as the number one overall fantasy quarterback this year. And I know it's a pretty bold prediction, and I'm going to give you a chance later to give us a bold prediction for the season. Uh, but before we get there, if you find yourself picking in round six, seven, or eight, maybe some of the listeners are stumped in those rounds. Who's a guy or multiple guys that you're pounding the draft button to acquire in those rounds? So first, I don't actually think that's that crazy of a take. You know, and the couple guys I really like, Curtis Samuel in the eighth round. I'm getting him as many times as I can get. I'll, I'll save my bold take for it. It's going to be on him at the end. <laughs> Christian Kirk's a guy I really like. Robbie Anderson's a guy I really like. Chris Carson is too cheap right now. You know, Evan Ingram is a guy. Jared Cook and Vance McDonald in round eight. I mean, I'm, I'm giving you multiple ones here. And I love Prescott, Kyler Murray, and Lamar Jackson are three of my highest owned quarterback because I really love those rushing the rushing upside creates such a good floor. You know, my, my top, I just pulled it up right now while we're talking. Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, and Josh Allen are my five highest owned quarterbacks. You know, other than Baker, they all run. <laughs> and that's yeah. what I'm looking for. And then after that, it's Cam Newton. So, I, like, legitimately, I'm looking for guys that can create that rushing floor with that upside. And the one guy I would really add to your Dak Prescott stacks is Michael Gallup. You know, he was open down the field a lot. Prescott targeted him and just flat out missed him. With an extra year and the fact that he'll probably regress to the mean, he could take a real step forward in year two. I find myself also, you know, I don't know if I'm, I'm trying too hard to stack, but in those best ball lineups, and, and T.Y. fell to me. He was, I think, the best receiver on the board at that point. And I'm not a real big T.Y. fan this year, you know, but I ended up taking him because I felt like he was the best value on the board. But then I found myself reaching for Andrew Luck just to pair him with T.Y. Do you, do you think that's a strong play or do you think that uh, I'm overreacting with that stack? No. No, it's a situation for me where I tend to be, I don't really like taking a quarterback before round nine, to be completely honest. But if I went Hilton and Andrew Luck is sitting there in round seven, I'm taking him. You know, it's a situation where I'm really betting on the upside of that Colts offense, where if it hits again, it's going to be tough for me not to be in the top six range and allow the rest of my team to kind of build me up from there. The Colts are one of the best offenses to stack in best ball. And quite frankly, Hilton and Mack are the only guys that are really very expensive. I mean, you can get luck consistently in the sixth or seventh round. That's just a high volume big play offense i have no issue with it whatsoever so taking the rounds out of consideration is there a player that you think the industry is just sleeping on that he's not really pegged to be a big contributor but you find yourself maybe higher on him than the rest of the industry uh one of my problems is those guys have been moving up draft boards <laughs> okay so chase edmonds was a guy i really liked darren waller's a guy i really liked michael gallup's a guy i really like tony pollard uh the running back for the Cowboys is a guy I think could have a role this year, especially in the slot as a pass-catching running back and be a great late-round dart throw. Uh, Robert Foster, you know, I know he's the wide receiver four right now, but his, his he was so good, you know, caught 22 of 33 targets, had an A dot over 20 yards last year. He's perfect for what Josh Allen does. Those are a couple late-round guys that I really like that, you know, I'm seeing the industry move up on outside of Robert Foster, and I'm confident they're going to have good years this year. All right, now, on my very first episode, I was trying to go strong, and I predicted that Zay Jones was going to break out this season, right? Last year, he led team in targets, reception, catches, yards, touchdowns, everything across the board. And I said, you know, don't come at me with the Robert Foster takes or the John Brown takes. But because you said Robert Foster, I'm going to I'm gonna go back and I'm going to start doing my research and see if, if I'm off on that Zay Jones take. I mean, Zay Jones came on really strong. I, I mean, I think John Brown will be the number one receiver there. Uh, I know Cole Beasley has done okay in camp so far, but, 
you know, I really don't want guys that don't aren't downfield threats for the Buffalo Bills in a low volume offense. And it's going to be really hard to predict week to week which one of these guys has the big week without any injuries. One of your early endeavors was breaking down rookie prospects on podcasts, right? Yep. Can you tell me how, how you started that and what inspired you to begin doing stuff like that? Um, I've all, I always built the following through draft prospect breakdowns. And ultimately what I wanted to do was I wanted to do something that was different. Uh, I really think that's a big part of, you know, pave, paving the way to your success. And, you know, so many people had draft podcasts. They were once a week. They would break stuff down for an hour, but there wasn't really, and or people would write draft guides, you know, where they'd go prospect by prospect, but there wasn't really a podcast based on one prospect every day uh, with a different guest. So it's not constantly the same two people's opinions. You know, it was a ton of work. It was really hard to organize, but it was a lot of fun. I got to do over 90 podcasts. You know, it was a podcast a day. I mean, sometimes, some days it was like four, and then I just wouldn't have one for a couple of days. I, I was so lucky to get, you know, some of the top minds in the industry from Josh Norris to Evan Silva to Sigmund Bloom to the, the list kind of goes on. You know, Thor Nystrom and Dane Bugler. Like, there was a, their guys are phenomenal guys. I learned so much from doing it. And really thought it was a fun way to bring new information to people. Yeah, and those are the, the best of the best in the industry. Now, can we still find these podcasts or are they archived in podcast history? No, they're still, they're all up. You know, they're all 90 of them are still up. If you want to, you know, as, as these guys kind of go into year two, if you want to understand how people thought about them coming in uh, before the draft, they're, they're all up at the Draft Daily Pod if you search it on the iTunes store. Uh, so talking about prospects, I know you're a Jets fan, right? Yeah, unfortunately. And I know that along with, you know, most of the NFL community, we believe that the Browns were going to select Sam Darnold, you know, two drafts ago with the number and overall pick. You know, the Jets were sitting at picking either Josh Allen or Josh Rosen at three, as long as the Giants took Saquon. But you're a Baker Mayfield guy, right? Absolutely. Through and through. And I know you were, you were hoping to get Baker in New York, but now that, you know, the dust settled, Baker went number one to Cleveland and Darnold fell to, you know, the Jets and became their franchise quarterback. Tell us how that anticipation went for you during those selections. Uh, to be honest, you know, all draft season, it was, everything was pointing to Baker to New York and Darnold to Cleveland. And so it was really exciting. And then the day of the draft, it really broke that Baker was probably going to be the guy. So, you know, I was really happy for him to go number one overall. At that point, you know, it was between Rosen and Darnold. I, I want nothing to do with Josh Allen. I was excited about Sam Darnold. I still am. I think Baker is the better quarterback, will have the better professional career and is the more, is the guy that's just going to inject a lifeline into a franchise. I think Darnold's going to be a really good player i think baker's got the chance to be the best quarterback in the nfl so uh it was it was a very <laughs> up and down two months getting really excited about baker potentially going to the jets and then uh, it obviously didn't happen but darnold i think is the best consolation prize in the draft yeah i agree i mean i, I really like darnold i mean the, the age difference between darnold and baker is is like four years right darnold's 22 isn't he and baker's 25 or so yeah Honestly, quarterback's the one position where I don't mind that much about age with the way these guys can play till they're 36 or 40 years old. So, But, I mean, Darnold's, Darnold's really young, and he's shown a lot of upside. So he could absolutely be a superstar quarterback. Let's talk about the other quarterbacks that went in that draft. Josh Rosen went to Arizona. He's been shipped to Miami. Lamar Jackson, uh, you know, he's on the verge of a breakout according to, you know, who you listen to. And Josh Allen came on strong at the end of last year. What do you see in these other prospects from that class? Josh Rosen at this point is very close to being a career backup. 
you know, getting traded to Miami, struggling to beat out Ryan Fitzpatrick. And if Fitz starts the season, he's basically going to have 10 games to prove that the Dolphins shouldn't take a quarterback in the top three. Lamar Jackson is with Greg, Greg Roman in a fast-paced offense. You know, they're going real run-heavy. They're building their entire offense around him. I'm really excited to see if he can take a step forward as a passer because if he can, he can be incredibly dynamic. Though he he will always struggle with his accuracy, I feel. Josh Allen is a guy that I really like in fantasy football because of his rushing upside. The fact that he is looking to scramble or throw the ball 40 yards down the field. I just don't think he's a very good NFL quarterback. Uh, But I think Baker is clearly one right now and Darnold's clearly two. And then Jackson and Allen are fighting to be three and four. Lev Bell, can he resurrect his career in New York? Oh, yeah. I mean, he already resurrected his career, right? He got paid. And he's going to be a running back in the NFL again for another three years at least. So people talk about the fact that he got less money, but he got more guaranteed. What the Steelers really offered him was, you know, a, a fancy franchise tag. But they had an out. But at the same time, you know, Bell is in a worse situation. You know, Gase is historically slow offense, doesn't really feed running backs, though I do think that Bell's going to get fed. His offensive line is not as good, though the Khalil signing should help. How is he going to do patient-wise? I think the Jets will feature him in the, the passing game quite frequently. I just think we're not going to see Le'Veon Bell of the Steelers in terms of his numbers, but I think we're still going to see a really good football player who's, you know, I think he's a viable late-round two guy. I just don't like where he goes in the first round of fantasy. And you mentioned Adam Gase. Now, you know, he's supposedly, you know, an offensive genius. and He was the offensive coordinator during Manning's uh, record-breaking season in 13. He was the Bears' offensive coordinator. He went to Miami, got his first chance at a head coach. He was fired after two seasons, finished with a 23-25 and 25 record. And, you know, it seemed like the Jets might may have been contemplating several coaches, but they ultimately decided on Gase. And then his opening press conference immediately became a legendary meme. So who is Adam Gase? Uh, Adam Gase is not Elliott's selection for the New York Jets head coach. Um, I don't like Adam Gase, quite frankly. I don't really like his personality. He comes off crazy in those interviews. I mean, the man looks like he was partying with... Uh, with Scarface before the press conference. For, for me, you know, he doesn't historically get along with players. He likes to start controversy. He's run very slow offenses. If you take away his record in one-score games, which historically are always regress to average, and he, he's like all-time in them, he's a historically bad coach. And really the best thing he ever did was, you know, be the offensive coordinator for a Peyton Manning-led offense that threw for a ton of yards with a ton of touchdown passes. You know, my opinion is Peyton Manning's his own offensive coordinator. So I think really the best thing he's got going for him is that he's Peyton Manning's friend. I hope I'm wrong about him, and I hope the Jets have a great year, but I'm by no means convinced that they will. Yeah, and, and it seems like, you know, he prefers the more smash-mouth backs. You know, a lot of the industry predicted, you know, Kenyon Drake to break out. He brings in, you know, Frank Gore. And he even went on record and he said he wouldn't have given Le'Veon that type of contract. Can Adam Gase and Lev coexist? And what do you think the outcome is for Le'Veon Bell in regards of his fantasy output this season? Uh, I think he's a fringe RB1. I think there's – here's how what I think about this team. I think they're going to have a slow start. I think they're missing offensive tackles, edge rushers, and cornerbacks. And in today's NFL, those are – probably three of the five most important positions. And while they don't have necessarily a hard schedule overall, they do have a hard schedule opening up. I think that this team could go south pretty quickly and start kind of fighting with each other. You know, there's some personalities, and Adam Gase is a big personality himself. But I do think that no matter what, because of the money paid to Le'Veon Bell, that he'll be a fantasy viable player this year for sure. Yeah, I mean, Adam Adam Gase is going to get fired quick if he doesn't give Lev, what, 20 
or 30 touches a game, that's a quick way to get fired. Yeah, the fan base will, especially even though running isn't necessarily correlated with winning by any stretch of the imagination, the Jets get off to a slow start and Lev Bell is not getting the football. He's going to complain and the fan base will be on his side. I'm going to get you out of here on a series of quick questions. All right. Will Melvin Gordon be a fantasy relevant player this year, or is he going to hold out till week 10? And according to your answer, which back do you prefer in his absence? I do not think that he's going to hold out till week 10. I think they ultimately get something done. You know, he's got he's got an offer on the table for $10 million a year. That's a good contract for a running back. He might be able to get it up to 11, but I think they'll end up getting it done. I prefer Austin Eckler because I think if Melvin Gordon comes back, he's still going to have a very viable role. They're going to use him in the pass game. They're going to use him in the red zone. And I think he's the higher floor, higher ceiling guy. Though if Melvin Gordon does miss, Justin Jackson is absolutely fantasy viable. You know, I'll tell you a story. I went to the Combine two years ago, and, and they give you a pamphlet that talks about the running backs, their numbers. And every time I looked up, I saw this guy, and he just looked so good. And I looked down, and I was like, who is this running back? And it was Justin Jackson every time. And, you know, I circled. I'm like, I'm going to get this guy in some dynasty leagues. So, you know, I, I stacked him in a few dynasty leagues and, you know, it'd be great if uh, he got a chance and actually became something. The next question I have is, will Zeke hold out and have you dropped him in your rankings yet? Uh, I wish this podcast was recorded tomorrow <laughs> because because I think um, tomorrow's a big day for him. Right. That's when he starts to that's when he risks his free agency eligibility. And that's so August 6th, yeah. Yeah, so I ultimately think that Zeke gets on the field as well. You know, I think people are a little jumpy because of the Le'Veon Bell situation last year. I think that if he doesn't report tomorrow, he will drop from RB3 for me to RB5 behind Alvin Kamara and, and David Johnson. The last question, is A.J. Green finished being a fantasy football stud? <sighs> I don't want to say yes. You know, I still think he's an uber talented player who's going to be have a high market share. You know, he's going to get targets down the field. He's been so consistent throughout his career. And whenever he's healthy, he's still a beast. So I don't know if he'll be a consistent season long guy, but still in DFS, I'm, you know, when he's healthy, I'm more than happy to pay up for him. All right. Is there anything else that you want our listeners to know about, um, you know, your endeavors or, or the fantasy season moving forward? No, I just I would love for them to go to the quantedge.com and check it out. You know, we worked really hard designing this new website. There's free accounts you can sign up for, too. You know, you can use promo code power hour and get twenty five dollars off the season or you could sign up for free trials. You can, you know, just create an account. You can read three articles a month for free. You know, we're trying to interact with you guys more and, and give more content for less money. So. I would, I would really appreciate it if your listeners could go check out thequantage.com. Elliot, you know, I know you're a busy man, and it means a lot to those like me trying to get their voice out there, contribute to the fantasy community. So I, I very much appreciate you taking your time out to talk some fantasy football with us in the lounge. So I have one final question. And I talked about my bold prediction, Kyler Murray finishing as the number one fantasy quarterback in 2019. Give the list, listener something bold. Give them something juicy that, that only you can and something we need to keep our eye on as the season quickly approaches. Well, I mean, you know, I could go slightly bold and say that Curtis Samuel outscores DJ Moore this year in fantasy. You know, I think that he's got that Tyree Kill game-breaking ability. He saw eight or more targets in seven of the last eight games of the season. He gets involved in the running game. He's a beast with the ball in his hands. He's he's absolutely dynamic outside. He's been uncoverable all offseason. And now that he's healthy, we really get to unleash a 4.31 speed. You know, a guy that's really developed his route game. But I could also go a little bit bolder and say that I think Curtis Samuel's got a chance to be a top 15 wide receiver 